Welcome to the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast, where we help business founders and sales leaders understand and overcome the challenges of building high-performing sales teams. Mr. Josh Sweeney, how goes it? Going well. How about you? I'm doing good. I am excited to talk to our folks today about how to niche down. So before we get into niching down, uh, that's obviously a pretty big and broad. What can you tell me about what you feel niching down is to you? Yeah, so niching down to me as a founder of services companies in the past and now another services company in the B2B space, what happens is, is we end up getting lots of different opportunities from clients. And sometimes that pulls you into different directions, new product ideas, new solutions. And it can happen sometimes also that you start to do what the client needs and not follow really what you need to do as a business yeah. to scale. So what do I right. mean by tail that? Tail wags like, the dog. Yeah, exactly. The tail wags the dog. You're adding products, you're adding complexity, you're doing all these extra things. And, and it happens, sometimes it can happen overnight. And uh, sometimes it just skews over years where you wake up one day and you're like, man, we do a lot of different things and that's causing some challenges. So niching mm -hmm. down is really making the hard decision to say, we're not going to do that anymore. And here's why. Here's what we're not going to yep. do. Here's how it's going to increase efficiency. Here's how it's going to increase margin. Here's why we're going to cut things. Um, and then we'll also talk about later a little bit about how that can go wrong. I know I had a, yeah. a niche down instance that didn't go the way that I thought. So I can share some from <laughs> that as well. Yeah. What, what, yeah, do you think? All, what does it mean to you? We've all been through it. Yeah, we've all been through it. So I agree. And, and that's usually there's a there's a great parable that I heard a long time ago. And it was about this guy that sold the best apples in the world. And he and, and he just I mean, everybody came to him for apples over and over again. And they were like, you know, hey, you know, because you sell the best apples, you probably can grow the best oranges. Can you sell me some <laughs> oranges? And he does. And the minute he starts doing that, everybody goes, well, it's just another fruit stand. And that's the idea. He no yeah. longer is the best Apple salesman in the world. He's just become another fruit stand. So that's the danger of not niching down. And, and to your point, when I think about, you know, our services organizations, over the years, we've done everything possible to remain in what we call our core four. And anything that goes outside of our core four, we really try to stay away from because it is it, it obviously lowers our close ratio uh, it takes up a lot of internal resources. It puts lots of pressure on the delivery teams. There's not much consistency. So the importance of doing that and the effects of what goes wrong downstream are huge. If you don't niche down a little bit and not to mention, I mean, you you don't want to be just kind of good at everything for the most part, you know, unless you're the Walmarts of the world. And you can have good products all over the, all over the right. building, <laughs> but you want to be great at a few things. That's really what's going to put you on the map. So niching down to me is very similar. I just think if you've got 25 things that you're good at and you want to look at those 11 things that you're great at, then I think you should niche down into those 11 things. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think there's a lot of ways to, you know, there's a lot of indicators that you should niche down, right? There's a mm. lot of, there's a lot of things that happen in the business where it, it throws up a red flag, but you may ignore it and keep on going. And that's where the conversation has to start. So have you have you had any indications that you needed a niche down? You know, something went wrong and you're like, you know, we shouldn't be in that space or we shouldn't carry that product line anymore. Or Absolutely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Absolutely. Many, many times over 20 years, 
Uh, especially, you know, in, in, when you're in technology, and I know you know this, you are in technology, but when you're in technology the way that we were and new products are coming out and new efficiencies are coming out and new automations coming out, I mean, you have to be on your toes and you have to be ahead of the game to know that if you're trying to shove 28 different products, you know, down a, a global market's throat and 25 of them are kind of falling to the wayside because of evolutions in technology. Well, the time to pivot and niche down on those three is as fast as humanly possible in the technology world because of that, the rapid pace that things evolve. So many times we've gone through months and months of proof of concepts on potentially slightly older technology and assumed that they weren't going to, I don't know if they, I don't know if we assume they weren't going to do their research, but we just really thought they knew what they wanted. And it was this. And then all of a sudden something comes out and it's like, well, no, I, I don't need that anymore because this other thing's out here. So, so niching down is important, but niching down on time is equally as important if you really want to, you know, make an impact and, and not put a, not a lot of unnecessary pressure, sales pressure on a lot of your teams. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when you're, if you're using, if you're in like, say the IT space and you have products, you know, just to add one more, add or add one more vendor, right? Say you use Cisco and now you're adding another vendor, right? Um, Right. A lot of people will just add on that vendor. I've seen it over and over. They're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, we can carry that. We already do this router, so we can do that router, so we can do the third router, you know, no Mm -hmm. big deal. And that's not necessarily the case, right? They, They add them, some of them get through it, some of them figure it out. But the reality is, is now you have three different products that you have to be able to sell, that you need to know pricing on, that you need to manage the channel on, that your that sales people need to know other. about. <laughs> they compete yeah. with each other, right? There's yeah. All, and I would say that's one of the indicators to me is um, you have so many that when you go to your sales team and ask them about different products, they, they really can't sell you on it, right? As the manager, if they don't know yeah. enough about it, then they're not going to sell it to clients. So yeah. you either need a niche down or you need to figure out which one's highest priority and, and start figuring out the training process around that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I can't tell you how many sales organizations I've walked into and I said, uh, okay, so you are, you know, reseller XYZ and they're like, yeah. And you know, what's your product set? And they will list out five or six different product sets, all of which that compete with each other, but they're called different names and they basically <laughs> do the same thing and they are expected to know enough about each one without any niche offering whatsoever. And then I walked into other organizations that pick one of those five and they build a bench of expertise around those five. I'm sorry, pick one of those five and they build a bench of expertise around that one and build massive knowledge around that one. And then all of a sudden they are great at something versus just kind of being like good at all five. And the effects of that are absolutely huge. It's frustrating, Josh. Don't get me wrong. When you when you tell a salesperson no, which I do almost every single day (laughs) at this point, based on how important it is for us to keep our niche down identity, it's tough to tell a salesman no when it's, you know, a little bit or a lot out of the wheelhouse. But it's very important to understand that nowadays delivery organizations, and I hope everybody out here is hearing this, delivery organizations 
are like a herd of buffalo. They're running a million miles an hour and they're all together and it's this strong force. And if you have this random, random, you know, need that's going to affect that, that, that herd from going a million miles an hour, you're going to disrupt everything, right? So why put the unnecessary pressure on a sales support team? Why spin your tires on something that's not going to be as effective as working in your channel, if it's your channel business, or working in your specific product set to keep that herd moving fast? It's something that I, I, I coach every single day. Again, you don't want to be like that, that vendor in the parable. You want to have the best apples in the world. And you want people to come to you from all over the world for those apples. You don't want to be another fruit stand. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think about it like in that, you know, like in the parable, um, you know, if you use Wi-Fi, for example, um, I know that Cisco Meraki is like considered one of the best Wi-Fi systems. People love it. It's expensive. People get paid a lot to install it, it but it works really well. Support a Cisco, right? So you can be known for that or you can be known as, the company that installs Wi-Fi for anybody, exactly. you know, and then exactly. the margins go right. down. Like a lot of things are affected. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a really, really good point on the indicator side. I mean, I see it in working with B2B businesses all the time where, you know, another, another big indication for me that a company needs to niche down is they have more services than they have or, and or product offerings than they have salespeople. Yeah. Like okay. They, Tell me more. Well, so for example, let's take a small company. They have three dedicated sales reps, two, two or three dedicated sales reps, maybe plus the founder. So we're talking about the, the founder-led groups, the organizations that we work with. Um, but then we go, we do uh, analysis with them and we look at what kind of offerings they have. And all of a sudden their offering list is like 20 pages long. That to me is an indicator that they need to niche down. Um, yeah, so, yeah. and, and it depends on how they package them and, and productize things. But if I have, you know, 10 different trademarked, um, products that we have and offerings and I have three salespeople that probably, you know, is an opportunity to niche down and focus. Yep. Yep. I, 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 I love it. And, and I can't tell you how many times I get cold calls from, from other organizations that say, man, we are great at, just like you said earlier, we are great at Wi-Fi. It's like saying I'm great at walking. What do you mean? Yeah. And uh, you know, what can you tell me more? So I also want this to be important for folks to hear. Uh, going back to that example where we had uh, with the sales folks, it is so tough for salespeople and it's so mentally debilitating if you don't have a specific product or service set or niche down offering that they can go get an education on, get trained on, ramp up on as soon as possible and get that out to market and start getting you some business in the door. It is so tough and it, and it, and it creates such a long educational period. If you have too many products or too many services or you're covering too much ground or, or whatever your situation is, it creates a longer ramp up time. So for the sole purpose of getting you that that investment that you're making in that salesperson, to get them to get your ROI back in, niche down for no other reason besides that. That that is an example of of niching down strategically so that your sales folks come in there and they know they've got one thing to do in one area with with one type of customer 
And all of a sudden, I think, you know, from what I've seen, you're going to get a you're going to get a salesperson that not only gets it, has clarity, understands it, but you're going to get business. You're going to get revenues in the door quicker. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, increasing closing percentages, better margin, um, you know, the speed to close, all of that starts to fall in line when they can have some level of expertise. Uh, when that sales rep can have expertise. I mean, it goes back to what I was talking about, you know, too many products, not enough salespeople, right? It, it means that they can't focus on a product. It's more of, hey, let's have a call and I'll figure out what we should pitch you. Um, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll go yeah. through the entire list. Now, some organizations, that's, you know, it's a consultative sell and it has to be, right? If I'm building sure. out infrastructure, major develop, you know, software development projects and everything like that. But I think the mm. flip side of that conversation, an example I get all the time, I don't know how many emails I get from organizations that will email me to do software development from all over the world. It's probably the most common email I get is somebody wanting me to do, wanting them to do software development for us. And I get a huge long email that's all about them. And then it yep, says, yep. <laughs> here's what we're great at. And it's every single dev development language and technology they, they can offer, right? Because they have a whole host yep. of people in another country or, or whatever. And I'm like, that is absolutely the last person and the last vendor I'm ever going to pick. To because totally agree. You can't be an expert at .NET, Java, Laravel, PHP, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, right? yada, yada. You yep. know, yeah, maybe you have 10 people that do it and you're good at it. Um, but you're not, to me, you're, you're not, not an expert. But you're not great at it. Right. Because, to your point. Because if you have all of those, you can't build out systems and processes to be efficient for the client and in delivery. There, there's just too much complexity. I'm going to go with a yep. shop that emails me and says, hey, we're experts in this language, you know, and for some reason they know that's the one we use or they found yep. out or they asked me which one we used. Um, so they've really niched down and, and create processes around that. So they have the ability to go faster. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the great Seth Godin has got a handful of books out there, but one of the things that he does, I don't remember if it was the power of habit or contagious, um, but what he talks about is the minimal viable audience. And that is something that I took to heart so, so deep a long time ago. And, and then what I, the, the, the discipline that we try to instill in our organizations is to, I mean, when you, when you talk about niching down, Josh, I mean, I want everybody to think about what ways they can niche down to create that, that minimal viable audience to where that audience hears what they are saying. So in Seth's example, he'll talk about, you know, if you're doing things in Europe, how, how good could you do in Eastern Europe? Oh, you're good in Eastern Europe. How well could you do in Czech Republic? You're great in Czech Republic. How well could you do in Prague? And that's the message then. The message is we are one of Prague's best resources. And it yeah. just went from covering whatever Europe's made up of 38 <laughs> countries. And don't, don't, don't Google me on that one. I'm sure it's wrong. <laughs> but it goes from that into, into Prague and, and, and the, the refreshing around like how good that is. And I'm telling you 10 out of 10 buyers out there only want to hear what you are great at and where you're great at it and what makes up a perfect opportunity for you and what are you going to knock out of the park for them every single time it's challenging guys and girls i realize the word no sucks or i realize the words i don't know if we're a great fit i realize that tastes like vinegar coming out of your mouth <laughs> i totally understand but i will tell you 
that if you don't, it can go wrong. And you're going to create a lot of pressure downstream if it goes wrong. Because you'll look at it, you know, 18 months in and you'll be like, man, I thought we would be a lot further along here. Well, the fact is, is that somebody that's niched down in your specific marketplace has probably done it a little bit better and probably, you know, accumulated more business and, you know, acquired more clients because those clients recognize that they were great at something instead of just being good at a lot. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of companies out there that really prove that minimum audience, you know, and and help you learn to focus in one area. I mean, I know Chick-fil-A was born here in Atlanta and, Mm -hmm. you know, they took over at Atlanta and Georgia and then the Southeast. They're just now, you know, I don't know how long later, decades later, opening up something in New York. Right. Yeah. And I think a four story monster (laughs) in downtown Manhattan, by the way, (laughs) for those who have not seen that, go have a look. It's insane. (laughs) Biggest Chick-fil-A ever, probably. Um, Yeah. Which they need because, I mean, they need like four drive through lines just to, you know, get through in in, um, an hour outside of Atlanta. (laughs) Totally. And don't get me wrong. It's four stories of paradise. It is. Absolutely. The four stories I want to be on. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So, I mean, there's great companies that do. And I think a lot of a lot of founders we work with, it's the concept is hard of like, no, we need bigger audiences. We need to be in more places. We need bigger lists. And but when I go into their CRM system and pull everybody and say, well, you're headquartered in Atlanta, you can meet with people in Atlanta, you can go to industry events in Atlanta. And I list out all the ones that they're doing. There's not a lot of penetration. But now they're mm. they're adding that second rep in Florida or South Carolina yep. because that's a big market. And it's like, hey, right. you we haven't even penetrated the market you're in. You know, I can exactly. go in and see like, okay, you have yeah. you have four thousand people in your target audience that fit your criteria in the Metro Atlanta area, and uh, you're you've contacted three percent of those in the last thirty days, according to your CRM. You know, mm. there's there's just no reason to try and add complexity to the organization yeah. and manage people in other places. I'm not saying that's always the case. No, but, because like you mentioned in your yeah. consultant example, sometimes there are reasons for it and it doesn't necessarily matter where. There's a lot of software out there that can be bought from anybody. It, it, it's not in every case. You're right. Yeah. And it, it's definitely not in every case, but it is food for thought. You know, think about how you can really penetrate a market and then mm. move in heavily into the next one and strategically and with the right assets and backing up that sales rep in that area. Yeah. You know, and what are your options there? Actually, it's funny enough, Chick-fil-A is a really good example. So in not every case, but in most cases, uh, the operator that gets a Chick-fil-A store is only allowed to have one. If they're a total yeah, rock star. I've read that. Yeah, if they're a total rock star, I think they can like help or, or get another one. But for the most part, they only get one. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Chick-fil-A, I think their average number, and, and you, can, you can Google it, their average revenue is like $2.3 million per store, whereas an average Starbucks is only 900000 Okay. Now, think about the model, mm-hmm. though. I'm an operator, and Chick-fil-A says, this is your literally, what, a 15-mile radius, right? There's tons of Chick-fil-A's. This is your 15-mile radius. This is the only area you will have. You can't add more. So what do they do? They penetrate those markets. They're selling biscuits mm-hmm. at the schools. They're selling them at the yep. parks. They're getting other people to do it. They're part of the community. Um, they're mm-hmm. giving back. You know, they're they're doing everything they can because they yeah. only have that radius. 
And I think yeah. that level of focus is part of, amongst many other reasons, why they have had such success. Because if I say, look, look, Taylor, you know, you are going to be in Gwinnett County, <clears throat> and that's the only county you get ever. So maximize it. You're, you're going to be known in that community. A year from now, yeah. every organization is going to know you. The different chambers oh, are yeah. going to know you. You know, the oh, industry yeah. areas are going to know you. Like, you will have nailed that area. And that, that level of focus gets you focused results. Yep. Yep. I think that's a really great example that everyone could take away is that Chick-fil-A example. Now, look, I'm not saying everybody's going to be the next Chick-fil-A, but you can tell from. <laughs> but if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. You're going to go. You will be the next Chick-fil-A after listening to our podcast. I, I stand corrected. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you talk about long term, consistent results, consistent growth, consistent growth over year, over year, over year. I mean, for, and especially in that industry, you, you really can only, you really can't think of much else besides Chick Fil A. I mean, I, if they're not no. the number one, I think they are the number one. But if they're not, they're definitely number two. Um, so I did want to come back and circle back around. It sounded like earlier you had a thought or maybe a story on ways that this can go wrong. Oh yeah. So I, yeah, I wanted to hear an example of ways that it can go wrong because that's what this podcast is about. We want to play both sides of the coin here. What are some ways that it can go wrong? Yeah, so I actually had it go wrong uh, with the CRM company. So we we ended up being number six in North America for sugar CRM. And we were really known for our technical ability and, and really complex integrations and rollouts. And we also, offer, we were more full service. So we would do training, customization, hosting. We would manage it all. So it was very white glove service, one-stop shop kind of model. And the hosting was just taking a pivot. I mean, this was probably during the launch of, you know, a lot of the cloud services coming into play like AWS and things like that. And a lot of people were going that direction. And we were like, look, the mar hosting's fairly commoditized. The margins are low. You know, we're the ones on the hook for uptime and, and you know, answering calls in the middle of the night if a system goes down and all these mm. other things. And we're, we're not a hosting company. Um, we're, you know, we're not even a hosting support company. We're better at, CRM implementations and customization. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we decided that we were going to cut hosting. Uh, that huh. didn't go over well. So okay. literally when we start talking to a few of our bigger clients about how do we migrate into the infrastructures they're already using for other applications, we thought it was a natural move. Like you're already, you're already hosting with AWS, all your other stuff. Why don't we move it in and, and your team can, you know, see into it and manage it and, and we'll keep doing what we specialize in. Yeah. Um, and that just did not go over well. I mean, we, we basically had multiple conversations. We had actually migrated one client off that came back to us and was like, you know, we, one of the reasons we chose you over the other competitors that were out there is you provided the full service, uh, mm. because other people may be able to do the hosting, but they're not familiar with that application. They're not familiar with the nuances of hosting it or scaling that application. And for each application, there are nuances to that. So it was one of those things where we ended up continuing do it to host uh, with yep. a bit of a backlash that was frankly unexpected. Like we we just didn't think it was going to go that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you seen it go well, wrong? Hey, anywhere? Turns out turns out you were pretty great at that. Not <laughs> yeah, just good. At apparently that. so. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it was of, of value. Right. And, uh, and right. I guess people saw that value. 
And so that was one of the things where we wanted to lower the complexity, uh, but mm. it just was, it was one of those offerings that was part of what we did well. So if I hear you correctly, in that example, the niche down didn't work out with existing clients. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that, that that's understood. I can imagine that. I mean, you know, it's it's not exactly this black and white, but you know, if you're in the middle of doing something and then you yank one part of it that they were planning on bolting on, then you know, who knows? Right. Um, and, I, and again, <laughs> I realize it's not that black and white. So, you know, and 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 I think that's really something good to take away. If you're in the middle of you know your business right now and you haven't niched down and you're about to, well, you obviously want to look at the dependencies that are relating to that. If you're going to take off a take out a product, if you're going to, you know, take out a service, if you're going to take out a bolt on hosting application, you know, what that's, what's that going to do? Um, really got to think about the dependencies, the operational dependencies of niching down. Now it might be an excellent business decision, but you do want to look at the operational dependencies that come as a result of making that kind of change naturally before you do. Yeah. That's a good you, example. Yeah. As you talked about, I mean, it, it didn't work for existing clients, which we thought it would go over better. Um, but it did make us rethink how we, how we took on new clients. So, uh, we came up with a new, new packaging, a new way to, to manage the pricing and and things that said, well, if we're going to do this, we want to do it well. And here's how we're going to do it with all new clients. So we're going to say, here's the two infrastructures we host in. We can help you manage it in yours. We can manage it in ours. Here's the price. And then the price is also more conducive to the level of service with which they were looking for. Uh, so it was, it was some lessons learned around what the needs were. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So I want to talk about, just to, just to summarize this for our listeners, niching down is any process of taking a lot of what you're good at and making it a smaller amount of what you're great at. That could be products, that could be geographical coverage, that could be the amount of customers, that could be change to the existing that you have right now. So we talked about, you know, what it is, what are the indicators that tell you you need to niche down? You know, what are the benefits? What are the some of the scarier things about it? Like Josh just mentioned with ways that it can go wrong in the middle of, you know, potentially a, uh, you know, a, 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 a current relationship and whatnot. And then uh, the last thing I'll leave you with is, you know, Seth Godin's, uh, you know, uh, three words that continue to ring in my head after all these years, minimal viable audience. What can you do as an organization to give yourself the best chance of winning with the minimal viable audience? Not always as sexy as going after the entire global marketplace, but man, is it going to be better term? I'm sorry, better for you in the long term. Jenny, Josh, anything else to add? Nope, that's it. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform.